0: Nothing beats our stories. Welcome to the campfire. Join me, Ben Zoldian, and my guests as we explore all kinds of topics. This platform exists to inspire human spirit, period. That's it. Nothing's off limits. And you're going to hear from everybody, thought leaders and non-thought leaders, CEOs and non-CEOs, authors and non-authors. What you're going to really hear is conversations that matter that get to the heart of the human condition and stories that inspire. This was the campfire recorded on June 4th and it comes one week after George Floyd's murder and uh, the uprising across the nation. And it really was about shining a light on the America that we live in. And this format was an open format for anybody to come and share their stories and for us to all listen to one another. And I have to confess for the week leading up to this campfire, I was struggling, and I was struggling because we thought we should cancel this, and we were going to cancel all of our outward-facing events. And the more my team and I thought about it and talked about it, we realized that that would be the absolute wrong thing to do. This is a a platform for everybody to share, and most importantly, for people to listen and get connected through our stories. Uh, So we decided to keep it. I'm glad I did. I'm grateful for the stories I heard, and, and I think you will be too. So here you go. When I was thinking about canceling this, this is what came up for me. I heard the most incredible story not too long ago. And at the time it reminded me of the work we do, but now it's taken on a different meaning. And it was a small town in the Midwest, an all-white town. And the I think it was like the mayor the council person in the town had invited a group of refugees from um, Somalian refugees to come into the town. Um, and They were expecting it was something like I don't know a dozen women. They are mostly women, and some of them were pregnant women or women with young children that this town was going to take in. So they're Somalian um, displaced, you know, mostly mothers, and this town had an uproar. An all-white town and had an uproar. I remember reading it. Just I was getting visceral when I was reading that reaction, Um, and it was literally white versus black, and uh, in every way. And what this person decided to do was invite volunteers to come help these women out on the like the first weekend to help these women out um at the like medical clinic for medical treatment so they invited and i think it was only uh, like a couple of people showed up and there were two women white women that showed up in this town Uh, and the entire town just you know turned their back towards these displaced women and these women that volunteered it sounded like didn't have any medical like they weren't, you know they weren't in the profession, so they weren't able to provide medical care. So all they did was sat with these women. And this was this was a, we reported after the fact. And these women, because they weren't able to do anything else, they just sat and talked with these women and they shared the stories they, shared, they heard the stories of being pregnant, of having kids, of wanting a better life for their kids, of having fears and anxiety over how their kids are going to be raised and how they're going to parent in the world they're bringing these people into. And uh, that first weekend ended. And the next weekend, it was something like a half a dozen people showed up. And they sat there with these displaced women. And the next weekend, it was something like 20 women showed up. But now it was men, too. And after not too long, this town shared the story about how they really created a whole new community. And I think about that a lot. Like I think about not that that can happen, I think about how it happens. And I think about listening and sharing and, and uh, so I was thinking about that. So when I was ready to cancel this this morning, or this entire week, I was thinking about me. Because if anybody knows me, I'm like, I spend a lot of my life saying like, this is who I am. Like, you know, I have a pretty diverse set of friends, work people I connect with. And i was thinking about who i thought i was you know one of my years i was so grateful for my crazy you know all the influences in my life but one of the years my parents sent me um to hillcrest elementary school which is right in the heart of baldwin hills here in la because they had reverse busing in 19 i think it was 1983 but it was optional my parents you can opt out parents can pull their kids out which is fucked up to think about but um, I remember being on a school bus with my brother and one other guy, Daniel, and we'd ride the school bus about 45 minutes, and they were doing reverse busing in both directions, but white kids can pull their, kids at white families can pull their families out. My parents thankfully kept me in. I remember going, and I was the only white kid in my class, um, but I didn't feel any discrimination. I didn't, like zero. And I remember one day, the principal and I was like my teacher, my teacher's aide, I forgot who it was, they pulled me aside and it was so surreal, they said to me, Ben, does this feel weird to you? And I'm like, in, I'm like 10 at the time. I'm like, does what feel weird? And I thought what felt weird was them asking me, does this feel weird? And then like, and then I always touted that if I'm going to come clean with you, I touted that because I was like, well, look, I have a diverse set of friends. I went to an all black school. And yet, I was thinking about that community in the Midwest, and really, where, really what I've been thinking about is, I think I, I listened to the woman from the Me Too move, the founder of the Me Too movement say this, you guys. She shared how you know when we put on the news Harvey Weinstein, and we show that stuff Jeffrey Epstein. When we show that stuff, it's it it makes it it's doing such a disservice, and the reason it's doing such a disservice is people can easily say I'm no Harvey Weinstein. Therefore, I can do the little shit the, 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 and That's the insidious insidious disease behind it all. Cause then I could do some you know, thing that I can justify because it's not as bad as Harvey Weinstein. I thought about that. And as I was thinking about this town in the Midwest, I was thinking about my level of consciousness in the world I'm, and who I always thought I was. I was thinking, do I have racism? Do I have, and, and I think if I'm going to come clean with you. I know my unconscious biases that I've been thinking about. I know where they list. I I I've never said this to anybody and I wanted to have the courage to share it here. I remember watching on the news, um <clears throat> it was about seven, eight years ago, there was this big mass murder in um it was in, I forgot what country and it. it was maybe in no coincidence here, it was in a East African country. And it was something like a bunch of kids were murdered by the, I I forgot the group, terrorist group. And I remember the news was first starting to report it this day. Like 200 people were murdered at this, like, school. And I remember feeling to myself, at least that's not here. Because it's so far away. And it was easier to say that, and as I say that right now, that's like disgusting. So I know I'm part of the problem. Because I like I say, that's separate to me. That's farther away from me. That's they, that does look different than me. And that's horrible. So if anybody wants to stay on and share a story of what it's like to either discriminate or be discriminated against, feel like they're not heard, feeling less than, marginalized. Um, anybody want to share? Alejandro. Um,
1: well, thank you all for listening and, and thank you for the opportunity to share. This is this is what motivated me to come to this campfire. I've, I've, I've been a voyeur and a few other ones mm-hmm. this one hit home for me. Um, I want to be clear to, to and everyone. This is obvious, but I want to be clear that, you know, I don't walk in anybody else's skin. Um, I am a white privileged human being and I recognize that uh, I recognize that I'm still learning uh, what that means and how I can be a better person through it. Um, what's what's interesting to me is that I'm, I'm both Mexican and I'm Jewish. Um, and I moved to to this country in 1984. I was a 12-year-old boy. And, you know, being a Jew in Mexico City had its own challenges. Uh, I remember my older brother coming home from school with a black eye and, and, and a little bit beat up because some guy in the school was painting swastikas. And my brother put a stop to it, but it resulted in a fight. And uh, um, I remember feeling threatened by that. Um, then I remember coming to to the US from Mexico as a white, blue-eyed person. Uh, I went to uh, the Beverly Hills School System, uh, to Horace Mann School, for, for if that means anything to anyone, in Robertson and Wilshire. And because I spoke with an accent and because I had a hard time communicating, uh, I was called a beaner. I never knew what a beaner was. I never understood what that meant until I came to this country and and and, and was a victim of, of a racial slur. and. Even with that experience, I cannot say that I walk in, in, in the skin of a, of a black person. Um, and I want to say, and I want to invite, you know, the African-American persons in this call. We need guidance as white people to, 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 to do the right thing because there is a prejudice in ourselves. You know, when I see a black person walking down the street towards me, my brain says black person walking down the street towards me. And I hate saying that, and but I know that, and I'm not a racist, but 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 I'm preconditioned to feel and think something.
2: Um, I didn't want to jump in so soon, but I'll jump in right after Alejandro because I thought it was very important what he just said. You know, we've kind of been preconditioned. When you look at just about everything associated with black is something negative, whether it's a black lie, whether it's, you know, um, Black lie, you know, you have black lie, you have pretty much just about everything associated with the word black is somehow, you know, unpure, which um, is unfortunate the way that things have been designed. Um, But what I kind of wanted to relate to a little bit of what he talked about is, you know, number one, my name being Vladimir. I've been at job interviews where they didn't assume that that's who I was until I showed up. Um, I've been ID'd before at job interviews where somebody thought that I was supposed to be some Russian tall individual that walked in. Um, But I don't really want to get into sharing too many stories. What I really want to say is a lot of people have been reaching out to me, friends of mine who are Caucasian who are from other races, you know, apologizing for not really understanding the different things that we go through. And my purpose of being on this call right now is to empower all of you to empower people around you to be that fly on the wall. When people are saying disrespectful things, when people are saying unkind things, I think that you know your voice matters more in those situations than talking to somebody like me. And the reason I say that is because my friends in particular, I feel that you love me already. Whether you feel it's because of my complexion, whether you feel it's because of how I am towards you, i don't necessarily feel any hate coming from you already so the the need to apologize to your friends and people around you it could come off as if you're trying to pacify your own emotions for situations that you have been in um where you didn't speak up so talk to your family members talk to your friends that may be ignorant in those situations whether they feel you know all black people are on welfare or they feel all black people are ghetto or they feel all black people are all of these negative things that somehow managed to be associated with us that when we're in an environment in the workplace you can hear somebody saying good morning to everybody and when they approach us it's yo 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 glad good morning things like that you know um it, it kind of subconsciously puts us in a certain box that's almost impossible to get out of you know um you look at majority of the workforce you know when you're looking at people on the executive boards you just about never see any african americans you know so. Believe it or not, I feel like things like that, particularly in the workplace, have marginalized us um, because we're only looked at as somebody that can only get so high up. Um, so like I said, you know, my purpose of getting on this call is more so to be that fly on the wall, to not allow people to be ignorant, to not allow people to be racist, to not allow people to say unkind things in your presence because to me, that's what being silent, um, has a negative effect on people, you know, like if you're going to be complicit in your silence, it's more so in those situations where you have a voice to speak up, you know, whether it's somebody being homophobic, whether it's somebody being racist, whether it's somebody, you know, just being negative about people in general, that's your time to step in and say something, you know, Alejandro, I apologize for, you know, the experience that you had, but that type of behavior, it wasn't the first time and it was only allowed because People around were complicit, whether it was funny, um, you know, whether they wanted to, part- to partake in it. Um, I think in those situations, you know, more people that have the guts to stand up to that bully is the person that can kind of dispel all of this. So in those situations, when you're around people that are saying negative shit, you know, like I think the best thing that you could do is stand up and say, "Yo, that's not cool." You know, we've seen homophobia firsthand. I've heard things, and I'm the type that would say something like, let people love who they love, man. Mm. And, you know, somebody might say, oh, you know, it's just a joke. I was just playing, and it's like, let people love who they love. man. And they'll know moving forward, I can't speak like this around Vlad. But what happens is, if everybody starts saying that, they'll just stop.
0: You guys know I live in L.A., and I was born and raised here, and I live literally, Melrose, where it's filled with National Guard right now. You know, if you see Fairfax and Beverly, that, that's a quarter of a mile for me. That's like, you know, so you probably all saw it on the news. And you know what sucks, man? This is so against what everybody is talking about. Everybody's talking about this neighborhood is a thousand percent cleaned up right now. You could drive by and it is cleaned up. And to me, that kind of sucks. Not and I know that's contrarian against everybody's like, yeah. Well, the community came together. Well, there's a lot of communities that don't. I my my best. I, I was walking when I was a teenager. I was I was the biggest instigator with all my friends, and I'll never forget this. I shared this on LinkedIn. I was crossing the street. we were 15 years old, so we didn't have driver's licenses. I jaywalk across a big intersection, and I'm with my my two buddies. One's white, one's black. Cop pulls us over because we're jaywalking. I'm mouthing off. I'm like being a punk kid, and within five minutes, my black friend is in handcuffs in the back of the police car. And the cop, I'll never forget this, was almost trying to have smart, sarcastic, small talk with my other white friend, like almost a charming conversation. I'm watching this, and I didn't know what I said. I don't remember what I said, but I remember exactly what he said. He looked at me and said, you say one more word, you're gonna be in the black back of that car too. I remember the only, I'm not saying this in a self-righteous way. I was just a punk kid. I was like, you put, you know, if my boy's going, I'm going too. And luckily I have a super cool mom. She picked us both up at like one in the morning from the police station. But like, man, that's, here I am treated like, like that. And my buddy's not like talk about, I don't know. I just wanted to share that. I just, I'll never forget that. Um, who wants to share? i I see some uh, comments here. Who's what's coming up? Who has an experience? Uh, and I'm really curious. Um, who has experience being on the other end, also of, of being discriminated against, feeling less than, marginalized, like? Because I, I said something on my social networks too, and and um, I just think that that for me is like a, that's like a cop. And you know, so many companies right now are like, we stand with dot, dot, dot. I think that's so lame. Like every single one of our companies, if we look at the executive boards or the executive teams, it looks like the fucking United States Senate. Those motherfuckers got us here. Fuck them, why are they running shit? I have two daughters that are in the world. You think if, if, if take anybody but them was running shit, we would be in this problem, we probably wouldn't have COVID-19. We probably wouldn't have any of this stuff, like the wrong people are running stuff. And here I am, I, I don't know. Who wants to share next?
3: This is gonna be hard for me um, because I'm a racist, you know, and I'll just tell you some stories, okay? Or can you do, do this, tell us one. Yeah, I'll tell you one. When I was 20, when I was 19 years old, I played football in college and I was uh, on a diverse football team. And I was in the weight room, just lifting weights with some of my buddies and with guys I liked and knew who liked me and knew me. And out of the blue, someone said something and I responded with, well, you really Jewed that one. His name was Todd Blomberg. He was Jewish. I literally insulted him to his face and I didn't even, It didn't even dawn on me that I was doing it at the time. Thankfully, Todd called me out on it. And I I mean, I still wake up sometimes in the middle of the night thinking about this particular instance, but this is not the only instance in my life where something like that came out of my mouth without me filtering it first. And I mean, I'm I'm not just a white guy. I'm a white guy who grew up as part of a white, rural, dairy farming, Pennsylvania family, who had a black cat in the farmhouse who had an inappropriate name. And as a little boy, I grew up with that around me. And even though at 28 years old or 19 years old, I directly (sighs) said that to Todd, Todd Bomberg, when I was 16 years old, I heard my grandfather you know, spouting off anti-Semitism. He was a greenskeeper uh, in rural Pennsylvania and and basically kept uh, greens at golf courses that were run for Jewish summer camps. And he really had an issue there. And he said something about it and I called him out for it and got ostracized by my dad for my disrespect. But even in spite of the fact that in that moment at 16 years old, I was willing to stand up to my grandfather in front of the rest of my family. At 19, I still did that. So the point is, we can't just you know, say we stand with you and hashtag this and hashtag that. We need to become anti racists We need to analyze our own history, our personal white history, and see all the moments where we've been wrong and own it. I'm so fucking mad. I didn't spend four years in the goddamn military defending the Constitution of the United States to see troops on the fucking streets of Washington DC because we can't treat people equally. And here's the only question you need to ask your white friends. Do you think white people should be treated the same way that
2: black people are treated? Yeah, I kinda, I kinda wanna direct this to Al, man. Um, I kinda needed you to say what you said. Um, it means a lot to me more than you could believe. Because there's nothing worse than having feelings of how you're being treated, and you have a world that pretty much racially gaslights you for it. What happens in a lot of these situations is when we feel when we feel like we're being racially profiled, you know being black is a burden. I hate to put it that way, but that's the best way to put it. you know, like it's walking into stores and feeling like if I walk out of here without buying something, it looks like I stole something. It's all of these different feelings that I have when I'm driving and a cop car pulls behind me and I feel like I'm going to be pulled over. And, you know, we are talking about sharing stories, right? So, I know how to deal with things myself, you know, and that's pretty much what my life has been like. I know how to deal with, you know, racism. I've been subjected to it my entire life. Where it really breaks my heart is that I have three black sons, now and that fear of knowing that I won't always be there for them that fear of knowing I can't have those conversations with them because I'm scared for them and 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 I honestly don't know what it's going to be like you know so so Al when you said that to me I always tell people you know I prefer for my racism to be in my face for me to know who to avoid and the scary thing is when I'm walking around with my kids I don't know who's thinking what I don't know who would harm them I don't know who would do mean things to them. I know, you know, I've been pulled over and I've, you know, been asked for any drugs or weapons in my vehicle. I've been illegally searched. I've dealt with all of these things. And I tell my management all the time, you know, when they have these conversations with me, I say, you know, I'm a network engineer. When I get pulled over and I have my earrings on and my chain and a hat, what do they think I am, you know? So that's really what it boils down to. And Al, like I said, I'm I'm proud of you because, it takes a lot to say that because people are in denial about how they really feel, you know, their, their opinions, their views. Like I said, you know, we're talking about black cats, black lives, just about everything that's black has been painted to be a bad thing in this world. And being black is hard, man. It's hard to be black in a world that you just feel like you don't belong anywhere. You just feel like you're hated everywhere you go. Any incident that I've ever had, whether it's a minor verbal altercation, the cops get called. Um, it's just, it's just so much. And like I said, my biggest fear is I have three black sons. I understand the people that are scared to have children, to bring them into this world. I understand, you know, the parents that are scared for their kids. You know, some of you guys are worried about your kids coming home late and and, and drugs being out there and whatever. For me, it's just them being black. You know, it's just them walking into environments where I'm subjected to situations where I'm trying to enter a location and I'm being told, oh, you know, no, no jerseys, you know, no, no do-rags, no this, no that. There's places that you go where you just feel like you don't belong. And to be able to try to express how you feel and just be told if you don't like it, go back where you came from. Um, to be called a monkey in traffic, to be called all of these things, You know, like I can sit down and give you guys stories for days, you know, similar to Isaiah. I'm from Springfield Gardens, New York, Queens, Um, you know, and I moved out to Long Island and I want to say, getting to Long Island was like the the first time that I experienced so much racism in my life. I didn't realize how bad it was until I got there. You know, like I had, you know, Caucasian teachers in Queens. I had a couple of Caucasian friends. We called them White Mike at the time, you know, that's who he was. Um, But I didn't realize how racist it was until, until I moved out to Long Island. And I remember the first time I was called a monkey, I didn't even know what it was, you know, like I was like, what the hell was that? And I remember telling my brother about it and he's like, she said, what? And I'm just like, yeah, she was in traffic. And she just said, you fucking monkey. And he's just like, you know what that means? And I had to like, look into it, you know? And, And like I said, you know, like just, it's an everyday struggle just being black and just existing in this world and it's unfortunate because like i said i've I've spent my whole entire life up until this point understanding that it's something that i'm strong enough to deal with it's something that i've managed to navigate through my entire life dealing with but it's scary when you have kids now you have to think about them being out there i'm not always going to be there you know we go to the park and let's just say if three kids are playing around and my kids get there and then the kids don't want to play with them how do you tell your five-year-old son listen you don't have to play with them you could play with daddy you could play over here instead and and it's fucked up because that stuff trickles down and it's being passed on and mm-hmm. going back to al man you saying that you're racist i'm proud of you because it's the only way that you can actually fix it everybody else will gaslight and say things like oh well, just playing devil's advocate. What if they're not racist? What if it's just this? Or they'll say things like, well, I don't think they meant it that way. I think you're overthinking it. You know, like those are the things that we have to deal with where not only do you feel victimized, do you feel marginalized, do you feel taken advantage of, do you feel like you're getting the shitty end of the stick, you're being told that you're not. And that's the most fucked up part where you're in situations and you would expect to be treated equally. One of the gentlemen on the call said that, you know, like everybody should be entitled to those privileges. Everybody. You know, it's, it's liberty and justice for all, right? It's equality for all, right? When you're somebody like myself and you see a case like Abnilo Wima, Amadou Diallo, somebody who gets shot 41 times and all he had in his hand was a wallet and you see police officers get acquitted, no charges. When you see people constantly dying on camera, and there's no charge for it, when I get pulled over, what do you think is going through my mind when a cop is just saying something mean to me? I just have to comply. And in those cases, sometimes it doesn't even matter. You know. So, so more than anything, I just want to say I'm proud of you, and, and I hope that you continue to speak exactly how you're speaking. Cause it's the only way to be understanding to what we deal with. It's the only way to pass that message along. And in a lot of ways, it's almost like you have like this, this mental block of this is what people think of me. And I almost have to prove myself every single time. And it's unfortunate, but that's the harsh reality that we deal with. And like I said, the most fucked up thing for me is, you know, whether it's former colleagues or, or, You know, former classmates when I go on Facebook and I see the things that they're saying and in my heart. I just feel like why are you liking pictures of my kids. Why are you liking pictures of my kids because when they're out there and if this is them. I can't expect you to really fight for them. I can't expect you to really understand what it's like to have three black sons in a world where you just feel like there's nowhere that you belong. People tell us go back where we came from go where just about everywhere feels that black people are like scum of the earth and it's fucked up. Go where? You have other countries where people used to bleach their skin because being lighter or being whiter was more beautiful, right? So as much as it's about racism, it's also about colorism too. And all of these other countries, people do treat lighter people better. Just because it's not Caucasian, it could just be somebody with lighter skin. People do think that the people with lighter skin are more beautiful and that's just reality. And like I said, everywhere you go, people assume that you're somebody negative and you have to go out of your way to prove that you're not. It's a burden. And I'll be honest and I'll say like, I wouldn't trade it for the world because I love it. I do have thick skin, but like I said, for me, I worry about my kids because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, as a parent, we all just want to be there for our kids forever. I want to be there when they have kids. I want to be there for as long as I can. And that reality of not knowing if I could be there or not, not knowing if they'll be here for things that people can control is a fucked up feeling.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, you know, I'm going to jump in and just because I, again, I can't help myself. But, um, first of all, thank you that that's, that's some seriously raw stuff. And, and it's, it's a great education. It is. And I can tell you that what's sad is that people always say to me, "Well, you're not, you're not American. And I'm like, well, neither are you then, you know, well, or oh, they say to me, you're not Mexican rather. That's what I meant to say. I said, you're not they, people say to me, you're not Mexican. I'm like, well, fine. Then you're not American because my grandparents came from somewhere else and ended up in Mexico, just like your grandparents came from somewhere else and ended up here. So nobody's American. Nobody belongs here. You know, so so the, the way that I like to respond to that is then you should go back to wherever the fuck you came from because you're not from here either. You know. And I know that's not the answer. I, I don't think violence and, 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 and an aggressive retort is necessarily the answer, but I can't, I can't look at the TV and, and say, why are these people looting? I'm not in their skin. I don't know how angry they are. I understand what point they're making, but I can't judge them for doing that. And my first reaction is, what the fuck are they doing? And my second reaction is, oh my God, they're all black. And it's really hurting the cause because all the picture is showing is black looters. But then again, then you talk to someone and say, how dare you say that they shouldn't be doing that? And and how dare we say they? You see, I'm doing it already again. You know, so the day we start going us and we, instead of they and us, and, and I'm not saying it's gonna happen ever, but. The majority is starting to go there. And the noise comes from the people who are the minority. So we need to get rid of the minority and amplify our voices, right? Because our voices are bigger. I, I let my two daughters go to a protest yesterday and it made me very nervous. It made me very, very nervous. You know, I had them on find my phone. I'm keeping track of them every second of the way. You know what? They had to experience it for themselves because they have a voice. And if, if, and if we as parents don't get it, let them have a voice, this never ends so i can tell you from myself that after this call i'm not a different person but i but i'm going to be able to express it differently and i'm going to be able to to be a little bit more of a risk taker for the right reasons and yeah. i'm going to not be okay with anybody making a joke about anything that has to do with making people feel inferior so thank you thank you really from the bottom of my heart
0: thanks man um who else wants to jump in? Just unmute and, and go.
4: Good. Nope. Okay. The first one I'll say is I grew up in a, in a small town in Kansas, and not a lot of things to do during the summer. Most kids go to the swimming pool. I was no different. I must have been nine or 10 years old. And I, I can remember this clear as day. I can almost smell the, the, the pine trees nearby. I'm walking on the outside of the pool for some reason i was on the outside of the pool but i was going back inside and several kids on the inside of the fence one of them said hey you and i stopped and i, I looked over and he said hey where's your green card i'm like i'm nine years old i don't know what a green card is and i said what's a, what are you talking about and at, at that age i tanned really really dark and in the small town made up entirely of white people that was probably the darkest kid at the pool, and I said, "I don't know what you're talking about." He's like, "No, you're you're an American. Where's your green card? Like, what are you talking about?" So anyway, I got frustrated. I eventually left. But this happened several times, and at one time, I, I just remember. And then maybe hopefully this can help some people. But I remember I finally said something to my mom. I said, "Mom, these kids are at the pool, or they You keep saying, you know, they keep teasing me about being Mexican, or you know, where's my green card?" and she said johan you can't argue with ignorance because i kept trying to change their mind i kept trying over and over to convince them look i i'm not this i don't need a green card blah 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 blah. she said you, you can't argue with ignorance and that really stuck with me um,
5: ben if i may uh, this is my first meeting with you all and uh so i'm furod shams Where do I start? Uh, Al is somebody actually I admire very much. I know him. And I will say I'm a racist too. I am. It's the truth. My skin color, don't let it fake it out, right? Don't let it fake it out because I'm just as racist as any of you sitting in this chat. I'm I'm pretty pretty sure. Uh, And I realize that I've shared with Al, my racism is even worse, right? Now, I'll, I'll share with you maybe my experience sometimes, but just reflecting on me at this moment, me, I gained so much from all the sacrifices, from all the Black people. Let me just say that. The Black people in this American nation who has generations sacrificed for me to be sitting here and talking to you. I'm not black, My, I owe a whole lot more, in my opinion, to making sure that I support their right, right? I mean, our right, it's not my right, their right, it's our right, right? And it has been an incredible experience. I mean, this is, at the same time, I do wanna uh, share with you, just, just please don't look at yourself and say, you're white people, you're to blame, it's not. Thankfully, you are all recognizing, you're waking up to what the experiences are. Privileges is not a bad thing. Don't say that you're privileged. No, everybody else should have the same privileges. Don't take away your privileges. Privileges, not a bad thing. I go by my last name. Here's my proof of my racism. (laughs) Because that's less identifiable. I don't know. I have lived in so many places in my life, in many parts of this country. I've preferred to live in parts where there are less people like me. I got to get recognized for who I am. And that's quite exceptional, where people don't come with a lot of preconceived notion of who you are because they cannot identify you. <laughs> that's been a trick just in my life, right? Uh, so no shame in it to realize who we are. And really, I'm I'm grateful for what's happening in our nation. I am truly grateful. It is allowing us all not to just recognize, but to step out there. And even if it's just this much feel, we are changing our path, right? We are taking a step, an action, a concrete action. If it's just to go out, just hold the sign, or just to say out loud, Black Lives Matter, everyone's rights matter our rights matter we all live (laughs) we all have a right to live so thank you for recognizing that that's all for now thank you all right thank you
6: um isaiah yes um thank you ben for inviting me um i'm from queens new york Uh, i grew up in the inner city of queens um from up until eighth grade i went to school predominantly black kids, um, high school and college, I went to predominantly white schools. And, um, I could say that's when I first started to be discriminated at first day, of high school, um, walking to some gym class later and kid goes to me, do you belong here? And initially I looked at him like, maybe he's like talking to somebody else, but he goes, not talking to you. And I just kind of put it by my head and, you know, just kept my day moving. Like didn't let that stop my day. Um, in college, you know, I was a senior class president and, and I've known everybody, had a great relationship with everybody. And last week of the first semester, you know, the whole basketball team would go going to a party, a lacrosse party, and they go, you guys, aren't, you guys don't belong here. And in my head, I'm like, I'm the senior class president. You know, I know you guys, and I always held you guys with a lot of respect, you know, I respected you guys, and you tell me we don't belong here, you know? And I'm like, you know, what's the matter with society? and you know you hear a lot of things about well the younger generation is more diverse it's 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 different it's not the same as older generation and i think it's still the same you know these things these these problems still exist and it's going to take another in my opinion another 40 50 60 years to really see a huge change with um, the society
0: yeah hey um isaiah we met once yes and I have this little, I had this little fantasy after I met you, may I? Yes. Now y'all can listen to this, but, and you could tell everybody how we met, but uh, you know, I think about my work a lot. And when I meet a, a person, I'm like, man, I want that guy to represent my, sh- I want that guy to sell with me. We had a conversation. Where did we meet? On the train. From New York City to uh, Long Island. Yes. Sat next to each other for how long? About a half an hour, it's an hour. And that shit was fucking packed. (laughs) Right? People standing up. Yes. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I can only imagine like discrimination in that environment. How that must feel. And one of you asked earlier, would anybody want to be treated like that? And if the answer is no, that means we know, like, do we need to be educated or like, do we need to look at ourselves? I have three best buddies or I have like a group of friends I'm still friends with from high school and we were talking um, two days ago. And I said something, I popped off to him. He's black and I go, um, I, I said something defensive. Like, don't get all up in my grill and he, I'm talking about best friends like since 15 and he goes, it ain't about you. That's the biggest thing I'm thinking about for me right now. So, uh, um, I was driving with my oldest daughter the other day on Melrose and she turns and, uh, turns a corner and she's driving, I'm riding shotgun and she literally leans into the side of her, uh, you know, the side compartment in the car pulls out a paper board that says "fuck the police," and she's driving with one hand and holding it out full. And there is like, there is a lot of you know military presence, cop presence, and, I, and I'm like, Zoe, put that down. And she's like, no, you hold. It. I'm like, Zoe, that's yours. You know, put it down while you're driving. Cause I'm saying, like, and there's bikers and there's so many people, it's so congested there right now. And so I put it down. And my first reaction was, put it down. I don't know where I was coming from for put it down, but I get where she's coming from. And I and I and we we pulled over. She starts yelling at me. Vlad, she was like yelling at me, Dad, I thought you were this, da-da-da-da. You should have held it up. Right. And I was like, Zoe, you're you're fucking scaring me. Like we're driving, you almost hit a biker. Like, if y'all know, I don't drive. I'm like the worst driver in the world. Like, I'm paranoid. I'm like, a, I'm a train wreck, right? And uh, and that was creeping into my head, but what I didn't realize, that I just realized, was how that landed on her. Like, what did I do? I silenced her. And I just reminded me of that, Alejandro, when you were like, let's take some risks, because that, we're silencing. So for me, every client we work with, that's an that's a all-white executive team, sending our kids to a whatever, talking to the people in our work, like our corporations are, are, are criminal if we're not gonna be inclusive. The last thing I, I thought about was things are beautiful and have character when there's everything nourishes each other and like we all talk about community The community comes with like everything just being inner, like the interdependence. So I just, for me, thought about what it's like inadvertently silencing somebody. Um, I don't know where to go with this. Um, I could tell you this, Vlad, I could listen to you forever. I'm so glad we met years ago, man.
2: I don't wanna say it's uh, PTSD, but you almost get a feeling that it's not gonna change. And and I hate to put it that way. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we've been seeing these things. It's just history repeating itself. Like I can give you guys so many different cases. And and I think right now it's just obviously we have a platform of social media being so big now that everybody's expressing how they feel, but I, I really feel it's a systemic issue it's something that is not going to change. I just don't see it and I hate to say it, but it's just reality. It's just what it is. I just hope that, you know, it gets a little bit better, but in terms of it completely changing, I just I just don't foresee that at all. Um, I think right now, you know, there's a lot of momentum going on with, you know, the, the riots and the looting and things of that nature. And in some ways I appreciate it because it's the only way that it would get the attention that it's getting.
0: Vlad, thank you. And everybody, thank you for sharing. The intention of this conversation wasn't for it to be the ends, but for it just to be part of the conversation, an ongoing conversation. I know I'm going to have more conversations because of what I heard. So thank you all.